everybody. Welcome to Therapy Dog Talk. My name is Sherry. My dog's names are Sunny and Riley. And each week we talk with different therapy dog teams and researchers around the world about the impact that they're making in their area. If you're just getting started or you're not sure where to get started, we have a free guide for you at freeguide.therapydogtalk.com. And we also have a community. You can join at community.therapydogtalk.com. Today, we're going to be talking with Shannon, a trainer at Spot on Dogs in Prince Edward Island, Canada. And I'm really looking forward to hearing about her experiences in the therapy dog world. Hi. Hi, Sherry. How are you? I'm doing well. Okay? Yes, I can. How are you? I'm good. Just excited to be here. Awesome. I hope it's way cooler there than it is here because I feel like <laughs> summer is destroying us. <laughs> I didn't know that. We're pretty hot here as well. I think that climate change is catching up with us. <laughs> it definitely has that effect for sure. Well, Shannon, for those who don't know you, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. So my name's Shannon Newton. I moved back home to Prince Edward Island after a six-year stint in Ottawa. It was my most recent therapy dog-related position. I was the manager of mental health strategy at Carleton University, and that's where uh, therapy dogs kind of started for me. I'll get into that in a little bit, but I live now in PEI with my two dogs, Truman and Elroy. Truman is a Great Dane, and Elroy is a Dalmatian, and I run a dog training business, Bought on Dogs. That's awesome. Um, Very cool. How did you first find out about the role of therapy dogs? Well, to be honest, it was in my 20s. I was at university and it started to kind of pop up. There would be these pop-up dog therapy events and I was always very intrigued by it. I was the kind of person who would cross the street to pet a dog. <laughs> and I just thought that was so cool and interesting when they started popping up for exam pet therapy sessions. And I came to refine that a little bit when I started the therapy dogs program at Carleton because I saw a few things that I would like to improve upon for the way things are traditionally done with those sessions. But I adopted a rescue dog named Blue and he was an absolute heart dog. He was a great Dane pointer mix and he and I were basically attached to the hip and immediately as soon as I adopted him I knew that he would make a good therapy dog. So we went and got our evaluation with St. John Ambulance and also with Ottawa Therapy Dogs. And I started doing therapy work with students in residence because I was a res life coordinator. I had met researcher Dr. Colleen Dell out at University of Saskatchewan. I think she's been on your show before because previous to Carleton, I had been at University of Saskatchewan and she was just starting up with her little at the time, now huge therapy dog project on sabbatical and I just thought so cool so I just kept running into therapy dogs on campuses and I knew they existed in hospital setting and other things when I was younger I always thought that would be such a cool thing to do but I thought it was like this big thing when I first heard about therapy dogs I thought you'd have to have this perfect dog and you have to be this perfect owner and probably have to do so much training and really thought it was like this huge insurmountable thing and then I couldn't believe that I was actually doing it when I first started doing it. Yeah, such a cool honor. Yeah, I think that's very relatable. I know when my dog got her CGC, I was like, wait, that's it? But she's not perfect. <laughs> and I'm not perfect either. Yeah, that's awesome. So Blue and you worked together as a therapy dog team then, correct? 
Yeah, we started in university residences when I was a manager there. We had a counseling office in the residence community. So Crafton was already pretty progressive in trying to use untraditional spaces and things like that. So they were pretty open to the idea. I lived on campus with the dog and students were interacting with him anyway. So it seemed like a good fit. I also found when I started working in the counseling office that it ended up producing some referrals. So I thought, oh, there's something here. And I started to take some data on that with the help of Dr. Colleen Dell, actually. I phoned her up, so to speak, and asked, I'd really like to legitimize this. I think there's something here. And she actually ended up helping me develop an evaluation. It was rooted in research right away as soon as I started. Yeah. So Blue, I have some very unique memories with him working as a therapy dog. And I think one of the most poignant ones was, if I could share that now. Yeah, just do. Time that I was working in the residence in the very early days, and one of the students came in to see Blue, and he was there for quite a bit. And some of the other students filed in and out. And I asked him, what brings you in today? And he just kind of looked at me, and nobody else was there at that point. He just said, I actually came here instead of getting high. That really struck me when that happened. And I thought, oh, man, there's something here. Yet again, this is a healthy coping mechanism that we can use to avoid some other maybe not as healthy coping mechanisms. And I knew that it could integrate very seamlessly into the mental health framework. So, yeah. 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 So were you working with Blue before you founded Carlton or they kind of overlapped a bit? How did that work? Yeah. So Blue was basically the instigator of it all. Blue and Shannon were the only therapy dog team on campus. And really nobody knew my name. They only knew his. (laughs) I would walk around campus like a celebrity. Everyone was like, oh my gosh, Blue. So I was doing that in residence and it was so successful thanks to doing the evaluation and sort of proving the viability of it that somebody approached me from the Center of Initiatives in Education and said, you really have something we should try to do a pilot. And of course, you can do a pilot for anything at a university campus. It's a really free environment that you can test things out as long as you get a champion on board. So we did find a university leader who was helping us push this along and saw the value in it. I think it just speaks to the university's values, like holistic wellness and different take on things with regard to student support. So basically, I proposed once we had some data and we were successful and showed the impact that it was having, the idea of expanding the team. On the side, I started to become a dog trainer because I was so interested in dogs and dog behavior. Took a program with a local school called Best Friends Dog Training and prepared myself to be a certified professional dog trainer. And then you have to get a whole bunch of hours of experience before you can write that exam, as you may know. So, you know, working alongside Blue through that whole process and training new therapy dog handlers, once I had the knowledge and skills, I was mentored. I was lucky enough to be mentored by amazing trainers at Best Friends and with Ottawa Therapy Dogs. And so everything was always rooted in like safety and standards of practices and making sure that the dog's welfare was paramount. So that's really like one of the things that interested me about coming onto this podcast was to advocate for the dogs because many people would love to make their dog be a therapy dog. And I think it's really important to spread more awareness about 
when it's not a good fit and also how we can possibly make something that looks like it's not a good fit become a good fit because we know the dog has a temperament for it. They must have the desire to do the work and then we can use training and that kind of thing to help polish skills, but to be really aware of this could be a stressful job for some dogs and for many of them. Yeah. 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 And even just knowing the environment can make a big difference to you and where you decide to volunteer, work with your dog. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that you really focus on now in your own business and your training business, right? Is looking at their behavior and helping people decide, like, is this a good fit for your dog? And if not, what is a good fit for your dog? Yeah. I've been lucky enough to go back a couple of times to help evaluate more dogs at Carlton. And I will be evaluating my first set of dogs here at PEI in the fall with St. John Ambulance as a new evaluator with them. I do have lots of clients who approach me and say, I would like to make my dog a therapy dog or I want my dog to be a therapy dog. And so I always try and stress, yeah, let's look at it and let's teach them first about signs of stress and whether their dog is at ease in these type of situations or environments and how we can ease them into it. Many, many therapy dogs, when they first start, it might seem like they love it, but then if you ask them to do an hour-long session, they can get pretty stressed out pretty easily. So you want to cut that off before it becomes a stressful thing. So even as a rule of thumb, I usually try and tell new handlers, like, when you first start, just keep it to 20 minutes and go from there and slowly build that app or build up your dog's capacity. Because if you just you push it too far once or twice, they can really develop an aversion to working or to the environment. So, yeah, I just think that's really important. And working now in what I do, I'm a behavior consultant, and it's really the other end of the spectrum. And it's given me a whole new appreciation for the variation in our dogs and the gratification of helping people on the total other end of the spectrum. No matter if your dog's a therapy dog who can go anywhere or a dog who's really struggling with anxiety or fear or stress, they're all good dogs in front of you, right? They're all good dogs. And to work with people who are able to appreciate their dog for being such an amazing dog right in front of them, even though they might have some behavioral issues. That's such a rewarding relationship as well. So the bond that can be formed is just as strong as those who are forming these bonds as therapy dog team. Yeah, absolutely. I know you said you tell new handlers, keep it short, like focus on 20 minutes starting out. When you're working with them to help them understand whether or not their dog is a good fit, what do you tell them to look for? Yeah. So for example, let's say we're doing an evaluation and might see a dog lip licking. Even though they are moving their face toward the person, they may still be putting themselves in a position where they feel a bit uncomfortable. And then depending what the person does next, that puts make them more uncomfortable. So it's about reading that subtle signal. And that could be your only signal to let you know that your dog might be feeling a little uncomfortable. It might not mean that you have to cancel the session or stop being a therapy dog team but it might just be why don't I turn my dog this way and have them face me and you can pet from behind just so we can ease that tension a little bit and see that lip licking go away and watch for other signs of stress like heart rate or breathing rate or other things 
right? Yeah, totally. Because it could be that initial approach that gets them worried and that's the part they need to work on. Yeah, exactly. They could be worried. They could also just be worked up, like really excited about the interaction, but possibly just a little too worked up for what we'd like to see in a therapy dog. Yeah, I know I've heard before, you know, just because your dog is really friendly at home or with your friends, it doesn't mean that they're going to be comfortable meeting stranger after stranger after stranger. The other thing I think, too, is we always say goodness of fit or like the right fit for a therapy dog. And I feel like that puts so much pressure on you and your dog to be like, oh, but my dog is a good dog. They're a good fit. <laughs> and it's not anything bad on you or your dog if they're yeah. going to enjoy that. It just means there's something else out there for you to enjoy with them. Yeah. I think I am feeling that with my current dog, Sherman. He's a great Dane and I got him still in a bit of a grieving period. It was about a year after I lost my dog, Blue, who was my like heart and soul. And I have my dog, Elroy, as well. I love them the same, my Dalmatian. When I had Blue and Elroy together, but I think there is just something to be recognized about pet loss. And in my experience, it was a sudden traumatic loss. So especially that kind of a loss of a dog who you have such a strong bond with, I think needs to be recognized when therapy dogs do pass away. In my grieving period, I was feeling ready to get a new dog and got a great Dane with hopes that maybe he would be a therapy dog and recognize that he may not. And I think that that's where I'm at right now is that he's not yet ready for anything like that. He's only two, but maybe one day when he's a bit older and wiser, so to speak. Yeah, I can relate to that. Both of mine are not ready yet. (laughs) Yeah. One is very, very special, loves meeting people, but needs to work on her confidence. And the other one is an eight-month-old tornado. Yeah. And sometimes they can grow into a dog that may grow out of the ability to work, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. even no matter what age they are, like they could develop some pain or some other things that could lead to behavioral change, yeah. right? And they may no longer be suitable just because are uncomfortable sometimes mm-hmm. physically or what have you, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or they may just decide they're tired yeah. of it. How many times do we change careers? <laughs> yeah, I've done that a few times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to go back to you. earlier. You were talking about how you saw things that you wanted to change in the therapy dog world. And you really started on a foundation of research and you were looking at data and what you were doing to form the program. Can you talk a little bit more about what those things were that you were measuring for the program, but also what the research and the changes that you wanted to implement were for your program? Yeah. So in our program, I was measuring initially with Blue and I, it was really that the students were feeling love and support. So we had that in a Likert scale of various questions that would indicate that they were feeling love and support from the dogs. When I was in the role at Carlton, I would have loved for some researcher to come and pick up a a project to research whether the dogs were feeling the same or if they were feeling stress at all or sort of measure that because that would A, help us with research, but it would also be such a gift for the dogs in the program to be looked at with those eyes and to be given that that grace that we could actually say, yeah, we're measuring this and things are looking good or we have procedures in place for we find a dog is feeling stressed. So, you know, it wouldn't be all on maybe the coordinator of that program to judge it or judge it based on self-reporting. 
if we had measurements in place. I don't know what that would be if any researchers out there want to start that research. But yeah, so there would be that. And then it would be like, you know, general usage and which environments students would find it more therapeutic in. One of the big questions that I loved hearing the answer to was if they were seeing a therapy dog and then were they given a referral or acting on a referral to a service mm. so that you could actually say that therapy dogs were facilitating referrals to mental health or other resources on campus. We measured it in or like survey. But one of the ways that we tried to encourage it was through training of the handlers to facilitate conversations like that, open up conversations about mental health and facilitate discussion of what kind of resources might be helpful. And the therapy dogs all had their favorite resource on the back of their business cards. So they all had business cards that were just like all the staff and faculty business cards on campus, except that they had the photo of the dog. And their favorite habits and loved hot dogs and that kind of thing. But on the back, it would say, my favorite resource on campus is the Wellness Center. You should check it out. Blah, blah, blah. And then like a link to the wellness website, right? So different ways that that, that we would try and like sneak it in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. When you did this program, were you also looking at the mental health side for the handlers? Or am I making that up in my head? No, we weren't. But okay. there may be some programs that were, I feel like Bark at UBC comes to mind, maybe, for that. Okay. I don't know. That up as well. I, I think I was like skimming what you had shared and I was trying to make that connection, but you may have just been talking about what you were just talking about, which was the mental health of the people involved. In, you know. Yeah. 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 I think one thing that I was going to bring up was just, uh, it's so interesting as a dog behavior consultant now, which is essentially an intake person for dogs' mental health, if you will. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a vet behaviorist. But what's interesting is the more that you research about dogs and stress and mental health in that respect is that the parallels are uncanny to the human world. Yeah. And their brains actually work a lot the same way and are structured the same way Mm -hmm. and that the things that help us also help them. Yeah. And there's various frameworks that are out there for facilitating one mental well-being for dogs. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's interesting because I spent sort of better part of my career learning so much about that. I'm a psychology grad and I ended up in mental health at a university and creating and promoting mental health framework. And just to see now that this is what I'm doing with dogs, it's just so it's funny. Like, I don't know. It's funny. No, I, I totally agree. I was in grad school for my marriage and family therapy program at the same time that I was working on becoming a dog trainer. And there's so much overlap. And I do remember at one point, my co-therapist after our session was like, did you just dog train our client? And I was like, well, it works. And that's, yeah, it's amazing. Like yeah. how much overlap. <laughs> yeah. It's actually funny. I did have a client who I was working with, and I think they would be fine with me just saying that this is what I did. But I was working with their young daughter, who was six years old, to help desensitize her to her fear of dogs. They found me because I was a dog trainer and I was referred to them somewhere along the line. But because of my direct connection with therapy dogs and all this background that I have and then mental health, they were like, oh, maybe we should call that girl. (laughs) And it ended up being such a successful case where 
Um, she was calling me her dog coach. It was really cute. But she was becoming more and more comfortable because of our gradual systematic desensitization plan that I had for her to become more accustomed to dogs in her general vicinity. So by the end of it, she was taking a picture with my dog, Elroy. They told me they would never have been able to do that four weeks ago. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting because it's like the same sensitization and conditioning. I would buy her ice cream whenever we would go and watch the dog. So yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah, maybe that's why we get along with them so well because we're just so similar in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think it's just the general sort of empathy and compassion and adaptability to certain circumstances. Like, oh, this isn't working for you. Well, let's change it. Let's change the circumstance, not let's change you. And I think that's the main message with mental health as well is there's nothing wrong with somebody who is experiencing either a mental health crisis or something lesser on the scale. That's what it's all about with accessibility and trying to make things more inclusive, right? So let's not change you. Let's change the circumstances, change the environment. Yeah. So with your background in research and your background in, in psychology, as well as as a dog behavior consultant, where do you really hope to see this field go? Oh, that's an interesting question. I know it's, it's really like, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I would like more and more folks to destigmatize the idea of their dog possibly needing drug therapy for certain issues because just like humans, sometimes the best combination is a combination of maybe some drug therapy and counseling and that training, so to speak, may not fix all issues. And there's just a big stigma with like, I don't want to like dope my dog. Um, And I think if more people were open to possibilities and what it could do for their dogs to help them with their neurology, it could be a great benefit. There's some really great practical guides to just general wellness for dogs, such as Canine Enrichment for the Real World. It's a book by Ali Bender and Emily Strong. If anybody wants to check that out. That is a really good practical guide for the average owner. And I think that that could be a good first step for somebody that just wants to learn more about how to adapt the environment and care for their dog in that way. Does that kind of answer your question? Sure. I don't know what's the best answer. No, I think you brought up a really good point, right? Because we talk about ending the stigma with mental health for humans, but the same is true for dogs. I feel like we're quick to label our dogs instead of working with them and finding out how to help them instead of viewing it as a failure what can i do to make your life more enjoyable and to make it onto better and that there are some methods out there that might be quick fixes but it's not necessarily helping the dog work through said feelings or things that are happening for them and through no fault of their own some of these dogs that we live with many of them like there are captives right Mm -hmm. so we have brought them into our environment and then expect them to, we have huge expectations for them to fall in line and just live in our world. Therapy dogs are the epitome of that example, right? Like Mm -hmm. just needing to be cool with everything and just be chill. And a lot of people have like therapy dog-esque expectations, I think, on their general family dogs. So yeah, more recognition of just dogs being normal dogs and that some of these behaviors are may seem maladaptive 
or maybe they are based on the environment that the dog is in, right? Yeah. We don't always know how to live in this world we created. So why do we expect them to <laughs> Yeah, totally. Well, Shannon, is there anything else that you wanted to share while you're here? I think that was it. I kind of threw in my extra point along the way there. But yeah, just that if anybody wants to learn more about how I created that program at Carlton from the ground up or wants to learn more about just education in general, I think I would emphasize, actually, I'm taking this back, I would emphasize continuing education for people. If you're looking to maybe learn more about that as a dog trainer or to take on a commitment such as this to maybe you have visions of a therapy dog program as well, you want to get some education behind that and make sure that if you're going to be the person in charge, that you should find a foundational program in positive reinforcement dog training that helps to back, back that up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Yeah. Anyone involved in therapy dog work should know dog behavior at a very foundational level. Yeah. So. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, why I was so excited to see your course <laughs> created because it's such an accessible format for people. So anybody that's looking to be a team can just sign up for that and you know, it's laid out for you and you don't have to go looking for science-based, research-based, like evidence-based information, right? So, yeah, you know, I think that's so fantastic what you've done. Thank you. Yeah. And I know Dr. Colleen Dell has a great program too. That yeah. As well. So I've gone yeah. through that one. Great. Yeah. yeah, I've taken that one too. It's really awesome. The one with the veteran mental health. She has a free one that they released for therapy dogs and their handlers back in. Oh, yeah. November, yes. October. She, she has yeah. so many things on the go. But yeah, yes, she does have one for therapy dog handlers. And then I guess I was referring to the one about veterans' mental health because there is a lot of mental health stuff in there that's really helpful. Handlers, just in general, awareness and base level competency in understanding mental health in general. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'll have to go check that one out. I haven't seen it, but. I'll link the other one in the show notes along with the canine enrichment book. Yeah, sure. Yeah. People want to find you to stay in touch or maybe they're in PEI and they want to talk to you about therapy dogs or work with you. Where can they find you? Yeah, totally. So I can work with folks locally here in PEI or remotely if anybody would like to consult anything and everything or email me or talk to me. SpotOnDogsPEI.com is my website. So my email is Shannon at SpotOnDogsPEI.com. And here on Instagram, I'm your spot on dogs. Yeah, yeah. 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 Instagram and Facebook is kind of a different, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You're everywhere. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank okay. you so much, Shannon. It was really great talking with you. You too, Sherry. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.